She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Kolchek the Night Stalker. Episode 3. They have been, they are, they will be. So in this episode, with tickets to see the World Series, Kolchek is tricked into taking a story about the deaths of several animals at the zoo. However, he soon begins to think the deaths are related to a series of unexplainable electronic thefts, strange murders, and even stranger black bits of debris, when all of the stories are stonewalled by authorities and include the repeated appearance of mysterious men in suits. Ooh. Yeah. Its original air date was Friday, September 27th, 1974 at 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Yep. All right. So we have the standard Kolchak opening sequence. Mm-hmm. And then we go into the episode. So we see it's daytime. We get a nice southwest pan. And then we hold that pan for a while, like for like 15 seconds. And I think they did that basically just like all the like guest stars and production credits can roll through. So that they're not distracting from the scene, which is Kolchak sitting in the dark at his desk in the INS office typing. And it's obviously night, despite the daytime opening shot. And in his voiceover, he tells us that this wasn't just the biggest story of his life, but of the lives of everyone on the planet. And he fought hard to tell it in the hopes that we might be prepared when it happens again, if that is even possible. And then we cut and we get his voiceover. Lincoln Park Zoo, September 2nd, 5.30 a.m. Shanka, the zoo's prized cheetah, was expecting her morning feeding. It never came. And in the scene, we see the cheetah, and then the cheetah starts getting all agitated, and, like, it's basically just in, like, a cage with, like, straw. And then, like, the straw starts flying everywhere, and the cheetah's running around all scared. And then we zoom in on the cheetah, and we freeze frame. And it was disturbing on multiple levels, because, one, something's going to happen to the cheetah, which is an animal. And it's also disturbing, because, one, like, the cheetah's in, like, just, like, a concrete cell with like some bars in the front and just got like straw, which is not nice. But then also like they obviously like in real life agitated this poor cheetah for the scene, whether they use like a blower to like blow the straw around or just more like throwing it. But like the cheetah is like really agitated in, in like real life. So that's yeah. disturbing because you realize they actually did like, I mean, you know, they didn't do what happens in the show to it, but they did, they did obviously like, slightly traumatized the poor thing in order to yeah so that wasn't cool yeah and i don't know if that's how zoos were in the 70s maybe i know now like zoo enclosures are never like that and they're never that horrible so oh not fun to see though and you got and you got to imagine that i mean i mean well i mean hollywood right this was probably shot in hollywood so they have animal wranglers and so maybe that's just like a zoo set oh yeah possibly yeah so so this was supposed to be one of the happiest days of kolchek's life It's the first day of the World Series and the first time the Cubs have been in the World Series for 29 years. So we see Kolchak is going through his mail and he's telling us that Ron Updike, who he calls Uptight, is now the sports editor. And so somehow he's become this like sports trivia whiz and he memorizes all these facts and he's apparently forgotten something. He had promised Kolchak that he was going to get him World Series tickets and Updike doesn't remember doing that. And then Kolchak is like in his face and like, look, you promised to get me those tickets after I saved you when you were being assaulted by this roller derby player. And apparently Updike had written this like disparaging article of her and calling her like large and brutish or whatever. And Monique's there and she chimes in that Ron is a pig for writing this like horrible review of her playing roller derby or whatever. His article was really rude. So Monique's like, well, you kind of deserved it. But apparently she was like beating on him. Kolchak saved him. And so he was supposed to get him World Series tickets. So eventually he does produce the ticket and he gives it to Kolchak. Yeah, after basically Kolchak threatened to do the same thing to him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then Vincenzo comes out and he's like, oh, it's too bad you're going to the game. I'll have someone else do this story. And Kolchak's like, cool, um, see you later. And he starts getting his coat and jacket. And then like Vincenzo starts dropping little hints about the story. And he mentions like another thing at the zoo. And Kolchak's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for that's old news. And he's like, oh, is it old news? Because this just happened. So it's another one. And Kolchak's like, huh? And then Vincenzo asks Monique if she can take the story, which we know, like, 
Kolchak's not going to let that happen. So then he like basically demands that he's given the story and then leaves. Yeah, it's kind of like this alternating like back and forth. I mean, I kind of wrote down that it was like a Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck interaction where like basically Vincenzo tricks him into like demanding that he wants a story even though he totally didn't want it to be right. So well, he makes it sound like it's appealing and this byline's going to go to Monique yeah. if he doesn't take it. And yeah, I have to say I really like Monique's top. It's just really colorful. It's a cool blouse. It's a 70. It's, it's a cool, it's a cool blouse. She's got a cool outfit. And also, I mean, I'm just going to say, I really liked her in this episode. I thought she was great. So yeah. Yeah. We'll get more into that later, but yeah, yeah. Definitely, I think definitely her, a big, a big difference from the previous episode. I think her uncle taught her how to be a professional in an office or something. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Gave her yeah. a talking to is like, Hey, Hey. Yeah. So Kolchek is driving down the freeway and he's trying to listen to the ball game on his radio, but the signal is bad. Like it's, the station kept coming in and out. And then his police scanner announces a code five priority, a 201 in progress, officer down. And he's kind of like, oh, I get to the zoo and there's the ball game. But he like decides he heads to the location, which is Ray Dine Industries. So Kolchek arrives and he's trying to find out what happened. And he finds out that a guard has been killed inside. And then suddenly there's no sound, but suddenly like the cement wall of the building just explodes outward. Everyone, including Kolchek, is like tossed away from the blast. And of course, this is like in slow motion. Everyone's all like. And like officers are flying through the air and landing on the windshields of their cars and all kind of stuff. Right. And then so Kolchek, Captain Quill and several other officers get up and they walk towards this giant hole in the wall. And inside are like four pallets that are stacked with what at first I thought they were like silver bars. Mm-hmm. They look like, you know, like gold bars, silver bars. We'll find out they're actually lead ingots, but they're stacked up. And then Kolchak takes a few pictures. And then suddenly, right in front of everyone's eyes, the ingots just kind of fade away. Mm-hmm. And the pallets are just left there empty. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, whoa, what just happened? Like, did you see what I did? You know? And Kolchak is like kind of like talking out loud, trying to like figure out what happened. And when he says they just disappeared, Captain Quill says, that's what's going to happen. If you know what's good for you, you'll disappear too. And then he has like several of his men like grab Kolchek and they walk him towards his car. And he's like, hey, hey. so they <laughs> basically like forcibly remove him from the scene. Yeah. So, yeah. I honestly expected the cops to confiscate his camera and expose his film or something. That seems to be what they usually do, but they didn't. Yeah. Maybe they don't think he really got anything valuable. Yeah. So as Kolchek is being taken to his vehicle... He sees a group of men in suits leaving the front of the raids in building and they get into their car, which has an extra antenna on the roof and Captain Quill reports to them and then the men leave. And so Kolchak gets in his car and he tries to tune into the baseball game and he's frustrated and he kind of adjusts his hat and this like signal of frustration and then he leaves. And so as he's driving to get to the zoo, the baseball game's going in and out on his radio and he's trying to adjust it and we hear broken up reports from another radio station with a call-in segment and there's this guy on Mariposa Way and he's complaining about how the city has wrecked his lawn by putting a bunch of scrap asphalt on it and they've just like dumped it and won't come get it Mm -hmm. and it's just like a really weird like complaint so he gets kind of interested he's like hmm yeah well meanwhile still trying to like get the radio station back oh yeah he's trying to hear the the baseball yeah yeah so Carl's at the zoo and he's taking photos. He's in like the cell where the cheetah was. And in voiceover, he tells us that Vincenzo's zoo story is still hanging over his head. And his chances of seeing the game are fading like lead ingots. <laughs> so during their back and forth at INS, we had learned that not only was the cheetah killed, but the day before a panther was killed. And the week before that, several other animals died. So something's going on at the zoo. And the bars of the cheetah's cage are, like, all, like, bent inward and broken. Like, the big, giant something went through them, right? And there's two staff that are in there cleaning the area. And in the straw, Kolchak finds this black lump of something. that It kind of looks like tar. And so he pulls out a handkerchief, and he picks it up, and he pockets it. Good job. Not yeah. like Mulder. Mulder. Mulder would just grabbed it. <laughs> so. But also, like Mulder, he's, like, the only one who spots it. Like, no one else is paying attention. Yeah, that's because they're good at their job. Just, mm, you know, maybe Kolchak's a little safer. Who knows? So. <laughs> well, he puts it in his pocket. I don't know. It's not well, like he's got an it, evidence bag. But he bag. didn't just touch it. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> contaminate it, right? He wrapped it up. I mean, he could contaminate it with his handkerchief, too. But yeah, he yeah. didn't just touch it. 
(laughs) He's trying to be careful. He's trying. He's doing the best he can. It's 1974, okay? (laughs) So So he heads to the office of Dr. Bess Weinstock, and she's the chief veterinarian at the zoo. And so she's basically our scientist of the episode. Mm -hmm. And she says the sticky mask Kolchak found seems to have a lot of acetone in it. And as they talk, Kolchak's looking through a phone book. And she tells them that whatever it is, vandals are probably trying to cover the place with it and, like, got scared off. And that's probably what it came from. And it's probably the same vandals who painted their baby elephant gold, which is really sad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, poor Zapato. And this, then they make a joke and, like, Kolchik thinks Zapato's the elephant, but it's actually the groundskeeper who was, like, hungover. He'd been, like, on a drunken bender and then he came in and saw this gold elephant. And so, ha, 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 he had, like, this. Yeah. Yeah. He thought the elephant was really gold. Anyway. <laughs> Good thing they didn't paint it pink. I know, right? Yeah. And so then Kolchak asks about the dead leopard who was killed the day before. And Dr. Weinstock is suddenly all business. And she's like, oh, it died of a heart attack. And so he's like, what about the cheetah? And she's like, heart attack. And then he asks if he can use her phone. And while he's dialing, he asks about the panda. And again, she says it was a heart attack. So Kolchak calls the radio station that aired the Colin show and asks about the guy who was complaining about the people wrecking, like the street department wrecking his lawn with asphalt. And they tell him there was no such call. And Kolchak's like, um, I heard that on the radio. So I know that that happened. I just was because ho- he's hoping to get this man's address. And they're like, mm-hmm. nope, didn't happen. And he's like, that's weird. And they hang up on him. And so then he points back at the black stuff and he asks Dr. Weinstock where it came from. And she's like, who cares? And he's like, I care. And then he calls the city street department and they again tell him that no work has been done in the area. So they hang up on him too. So he's getting nowhere with anything. Yeah. Really. Yep. And then meanwhile, Dr. Weinstock has been doing science and she's been listening to Carl's <laughs> phone calls and her like all business facade of like heart attack, heart attack, heart attack is like slowly fading. And she tells him that, they, she doesn't know where they're going to get another panda because the commies have them all because they're from China and they're not even bears. They're raccoons. And he's like, a raccoon with a heart attack. Maybe you fed him too much cholesterol. And then he smiles and he leaves. So there. I mean, Carl might be trying to like put the sweet moves on Dr. Weinstock to get some information. <laughs> we'll find out later. Yes. And Dr. Best Weinstock, I could not like I recognized her, but I could not figure out who she was. And it took me a minute to actually find out who she was because in the opening, she's one of the she's one of the guest stars who gets the opening, like her name in the opening credits in the beginning. And they don't tell you who they're playing. They just tell you like guest starring, right? And all the people. And her name is Mary Wicks. I finally had to narrow it down because I didn't know her name either. And there were several women in that first part. But she played Zelda, the housekeeper on Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, which I totally watched as a kid. So that's where I recognized her from. Nice. And she's done a bunch of other stuff too. I looked up a lot of the people in this episode because a lot of them look familiar and they've yeah. all been like in various things. Nothing like mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, that's it. It was just like they've just been in so many shows that I'm sure I've yeah, seen them just, several times. Yeah, you can't. Sometimes you can't even be like, yeah, I, re- I remember them from this. It's just like they've been in so many things that you've seen them in a bunch of things. And right. Stands out. It's just like, yeah. And a lot of them had been in like Matlock and they'd been in Murder, She Wrote and just other mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, I know I've seen them. I just I can't tell you where I recognize them, but. I've just seen them around TV. (laughs) So a street sign says Mariposa Way, and we see Kolchak come around the corner, and he parks his car, and he's still trying to listen to the game, but he's not having a lot of luck. And he walks onto a lawn that is destroyed. Like, we can see black gunk all over, and there's patchy burn marks, and apparently it doesn't smell good. And the owner, Alfred Brindle, comes out, and he's super talkative, and basically he tells him that about an hour after he made the call into the radio... Four city trucks arrived and apparently they tried to clean it up, but they weren't very good. And so he's like telling them, oh, yeah, they use shovels. And then they had this chemical that turned the grass yellow. And then they had flamethrowers. And look, they burned my hedge and my tree and they almost burned my house down. So like he clearly thinks this is a bad cleanup job. But anyone who's into like sci-fi stuff is like, ooh, they're trying to cover this up because they're they're not doing a bad job. They're just not doing a good job of cleaning up them they're trying to get rid of the evidence so Kolchak takes a photo and Brindle poses and then he tells him that the city denied ever putting stuff on his lawn and like the whole city's going down the tubes and then he points to his neighbor's house and we can see the second story window has like wood covering it and he says his neighbor was listening to his stereo and someone like kicked out his window and took the stereo while he was listening to it which how you kick out a second story window, I have no idea. Maybe climbed up on the porch or something. 
And police found the cabinet behind the house, but all the electronics inside were missing. And another neighbor has had five of her cats killed, which, oh. Mm-hmm. And then they make a joke about how she's still got a dozen because she's a crazy cat lady. And I'm not going to get into that. Um. <laughs> yeah, he's not, she's one of those and does a little finger thing. Yeah. yeah. So. And so Kolchak asks more about the stereo theft. And he finds out it happened last night around 1130. And then Brindle's like, okay, I got to go. And so Kolchak looks around the yard a little more and we do see like everything's destroyed. And then he gets back in his car and we hear that the Sox just scored. So it's Cub zero, Sox one. And as Kolchak's leaving, he sees another clump of the black stuff. And so he grabs it. It's like on the lawn. So apparently for all this like hardcore cleaning with chemicals and fire and stuff, they still miss stuff, which is kind of mm-hmm. not good. Yeah, but Brindle did say they were idiots. It's so. true. Yeah. And Coltick did pick it up with another handkerchief, by the way. Yes. And just grab it with his hands. Yes. I love this scene. So this is like Dick Van Patten playing Alfred Bruno, which like eight's enough. It's like what you think about it. And that show was like, it was one of those family shows with whatever, but he is really good in this. Yeah, he is. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I didn't love the five killed cat. Uh, no. The, I mean, they're not real cats and we never even see them, but, but still, I'm still like, oh. Yeah. Still, yeah. I was talking on Twitter about how like, Bucky Barnes apparently has a cat in the comics. And I was like, that would have been amazing in the Falcon and Winter Soldier if he had like this cat. But then the whole time during the show, I would just constantly be worried about the cat. So I'm kind of glad the cat's not there because I would just be like, where's the cat? Bucky, do you have a cat sitter who's watching your cat? Yeah, who's feeding the cat? Do you have a feeder? Is it time? Is Yori feeding your cat? What's going on? I just need to know the cat's okay. Let us know. I want to yeah. see Bucky get an email from his cat sitter with like photos that show the cat's all right. Anyway. All right. Anyhow. So yeah, <laughs> kind of glad the cat's not in the show, but still be cute. Yeah. Cause we actually don't see any cats. In, well, we saw the cheetah, but yeah, yeah, we don't see any like house cats in this episode. Yeah. And that was disturbing enough, honestly. So yeah. Yeah. So Cole checks back downtown. He's driving, but he just drives by. We go boom, goes past the camera and he's so apparently we're not focused on Kolchak. We're instead focused on a man who's standing outside the theater. And we get Kolchak's voiceover again. And he tells us that Peter Hudson, who is out on parole and out of money, decided to endanger the first situation by trying to rectify the second. So he's out on parole, but he needs some money. So he snatches some lady's purse. Then he runs, 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 runs. And he takes refuge in this condemned building, goes down in the basement. And he's going through the purse and there's nothing in there. So he's all, oh, he's totally upset. He's like digging, digging, digging. He throws the purse down. But then he sees the room that he's in is just filled with electronics it's got like a microwave oven stereo equipment and speakers and tvs and so he's like oh because he can pawn this stuff get some money right but then as he's like fondling the television there's someone else or something else in the room and peter hudson doesn't stand a chance he's gonna die <laughs> and then we get a commercial and then we come back from the commercial, and Kolchak is just driving, 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 and his radio is still all... Can't listen to the station. But we do learn that the Cubs are still trailing one nothing, and it's the seventh inning. Mm, Kolchak is not going to see that game. No, no way. The Cubs are probably not going to win. And this is a fictional World Series, too, by the way. The Cubs were not in the World Series in 74. So, Yeah, I don't know much about baseball. So Kolchak walks back into the laboratory at the zoo with Dr. Weinstock and she's there and she's giving a guinea pig a shot and Kolchak starts trying to like sweet talk her and he wants her to run tests on the sample he found on Mr. Brindle's lawn and he thinks it's the exact same substance he found in the cage but Weinstock is kind of reluctant and so he kind of tries to sweet talk her a little more and she turns on the radio and we hear that the Cubs are still down one zero at the seven and a half. So again, baseball's nine innings. Like he's not, I don't know why if he wants to make it, he's cutting it pretty close. And he's strangely like a super Cubs fan, even though like we know from like the Night Stalker movie, like he's lived in all these cities because he keeps getting fired. So it's not like he's from Chicago. Or I think it's just because he's in Chicago. And so you have to be yeah. like a fan. Yeah the, ser- of- yeah, the series is in Chicago. So as far as we know, the people probably didn't maybe see the TV movie. So it's a Chicago. Yeah. yeah. So it turns out that Weinstock is also a Cubs fan. And Coltex, well, I've got box seats. We can make the end of the game. And she's still kind of reluctant because she knows if she does the test, he's going to write some crazy story about this weird substance at the zoo. And Kolchak's like, no matter who does the analysis, I'm going to write the story. But if you do it, you can guide my writing. 
Yeah, and I love this scene because he gives the perfect explanation of what TV scientists do on television. So, quote, all you have to do is put a little specimen of this in a test tube and shake it up and some chemicals and put it on a slide and stick it into your scope and tell me what's in it. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what scientists do. That's all scientists do. And he's like, and he's like miming the whole process while he does it is fantastic. Yeah. And it's probably like where Chris Carter got all the information of how you do science on TV. I'm guessing. <laughs> Could be wrong. The scene is, the scene is very Mulder and Scully like in the science room while Scully is doing stuff to me. I don't know. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So she does a test and like, oh, it's very quick. Like you said, it's like, <laughs> does not take a very long time. TV. Yeah. And yeah. she says it is the same stuff. It contains hydrochloric acid, which we all know is digestive juice. That's what she calls it. Yep. That's what she calls it, yep. And it's acetone and bone marrow, animal bone marrow. Mm-hmm. And each of the animals killed had puncture marks on major bones, and all of the marrow had been extracted. So she believes somebody, quote unquote, ate the marrow and then threw up the substance. And neither of them really knows why or how a human could vomit something like that. Yeah. So she kind of opened up a little bit because now she's telling them like, oh, it wasn't heart attacks, right? They all got their bone marrow sucked out. Right. So that's not cool. Nope. Nope. So Kolchek is walking up to the INS building and on the radio we hear like the this this was one of the fastest games ever in World Series history. <laughs> And the Cubs didn't score. So it was like a 1-0 game. And so it was just, boom, everyone just went up and they got out. Everyone got up and out. And then they had a score. So one of the fastest games ever. And then Kolchek and Monique are in the dark room. And she's like, you shouldn't be using infrared film. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I had. And I'm like, what? Like, that's all you had? It's infrared film. Infrared film is not that, like, common, I'm thinking. I could be wrong. I don't know, but I thought that was funny. He just has, oh, I'm out of film. I just have this infrared stuff hanging around. Anyway, so they look at his photos, and they look weird, and she says, you got nothing. And then he's like, what could use two tons of lead? And she's like, God's pencil? And she just starts tearing up his photos, and he's like, ah! And he yells at her, and he calls her a not nice name, and then he tells her to reprint all of them. All of them. They are very important, and then he leaves. Yeah, and she's confused because, like, the photos don't really show anything. So she's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So then it's nighttime. We see Kolchak enter the city morgue, and he walks into Gordy's office. And Gordy lets him know he just missed winning one of his pools by one number. And Kolchak's like, you've been trying to call me about that? And he's like, well, I got to keep your hope up that you could, like, win (laughs) this pool we have. You were really close. And In other words, you got to keep making sure I get some money from you is what he's trying to do. Yeah, exactly. So Kolchak asks about the autopsy report from the guard killed at Raydine. And, of course, Gordy wants him to bet on the pool. And Mm -hmm. then he mentions that he's thinking of changing it from birthdays instead of death days or days they come into the lab. And Kolchak's like, I don't care. What about this autopsy report? And then we hear someone outside is calling for Gordon. So Gordy like runs over to where he's got the pool taped up. And so as he's rolling up the paper, Gordy tells Kolchak, you're just going to have to wait like any other reporter, like really loud. And then Stanley comes in and Stanley's obviously like a superior supervisor of Gordy's. And he asks what's going on. And Kolchak's like, oh, I was hoping to see the autopsy report for the guard that was killed today. And Stanley's like, no need for dramatics. I can get that for you. And so he reads the autopsy report. And as he's reading it, like he says, oh, it was cause of death, was cardiac arrest, nothing out of the ordinary. And Gordy is like standing there, like shaking his head, like subtly, like, no, this is not right. And then Gordy kind of like surreptitiously holds up this like cassette tape at Kolchak as Stanley's reading. And then Kolchak's like, well, I want to see the body. And Kolchak like walks over to the drawers where the bodies are. And Gordy like rushes in front of him is like, you can't see the body. You're a reporter. We never let reporters do that. And as he, like, kind of goes to block him, he, like, hands him the tape, and then Kolchak hands him some money, so they, like, have this quick exchange that Stanley can't see, and Stanley's like, you know that's not permitted, Kolchak, and Kolchak's like, you know what, you're right, it's just my reporter's zeal, I absolutely never come in here and look at bodies, I don't know what I was thinking, and, like, Stanley (laughs) thinks, like, oh, look at this. 
Kolchak's being reasonable and treating me nice and like apologizing. This is great. So they shake hands and Gordy offers to refile the report and like takes it back to the file cabinet and like stands in front of it trying to look casual like he's not hiding anything in there. Well, Kolchak leaves. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good scene. It was really funny because obviously Gordy's letting Kolchak do all sorts of stuff that he's not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Also, well, also running a pool that he's not supposed to be running because he's already mentioned previously in the, well, in the last episode that he's had to eat receipts sometimes when he's almost got caught so that they didn't realize he was running a pool right so yeah so then Kolchak ducks into a broom closet to listen to the cassette that Gordy gave him and we hear Stanley's voice and he on the tape says no evidence of cardiac arrest inserting trocar into sternum for marrow sample hey Philip look at this it's bone dry. Pardon the expression. There's no marrow. None. Yeah. Dun, so dun, dun. What he said on the report is not what he said on the tape. Nope. Mm. Mm. And I totally thought he was going to get busted with the recorder. I was like, like Stanley was going to leave and then he was going to be like walking down the hall and hear like his own voice through the door and catch Kolchak. I thought he was going to totally get busted. Yeah, it seemed like a bad place to listen to it. Like get a little further yeah. away. Get to your car. Yeah. But yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, so then we get voiceover <laughs> September 2nd, 10 p.m. So, same day, but now 10 p.m. Leo Van Heusen, single, ambitious, slightly paranoid. We see him like setting up all this gear in the woods. He's he basically he's setting up like a little mini SETI program. He's like an enthusiast, right? Then he's apparently developed this language called Mathematico, which is a universal language that he uses to communicate with the stars. So he turns on all his equipment and he begins transmitting and then he is killed by an unseen force, just like Peter Hudson, up close and invisibly. So let me see Kolchak go through another door and he's not in the lab, though. He's in the police press briefing and he's late. And so he kind of, you know, getting through and people are like, hey, get out of the way. Go to the back. So he goes to the back and Captain Quill is letting everyone know that the police department is on top of everything and they are operating at peak efficiency. Yep, sounds true. Yep, and he expects arrest of major suspects within, and then he looks at his watch because obviously that's going to tell him when they're going to find these major suspects. But his watch has stopped and it's 11, 20, and 40 seconds. So then he's like, within 24 hours, we'll have those. And But there's no questions allowed, no questions, because everyone here knows that Raydine Industries is involved with some work on some very classified missile guidance systems. So we're talking national security. But so, of course, Kolchak asks us some questions anyway, right? Because it's Kolchak. And he's like, what about the rumored punctured marks on the body of the guard? And he quills all like, there's absolutely no foundation for those rumors, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, what about the two tons of missing ingots? So then Quill's like, well, what did, well, what did you see? And blah, blah, blah. So then he basically gives everyone a lecture about being responsible journalists and how in their zeal to obtain the facts, they forget that they can impede the course of justice and they can create dissension and fear among the public and also lose their personal credibility. And so I'm like, that's just much, Captain Quill. <laughs> anyway, so then Kolchak keeps going with questions because it's Kolchak, right? <laughs> and he asks all electronics and he's bone marrow. And so Quill just like mm, shuts it down and leaves. And we find out that Kolchak also has a watch that is stopped at 11.20 and 40 seconds. And so does everyone else who was at Radine. And so Kolchak wonders what could do that. And he thinks perhaps an electromagnetic signal so strong that it might swing a compass needle off true north and on to the final truth. So Kolchak has a way with words. He's a good writer. Anyway, I like it. So unfortunately, while his watch is stopped at the right time, his watch also has a little like day and date on it. And it says Saturday 31, which would match August 31st, 1974, which was a Saturday. But we know all the events happened on September 2nd. So, hmm. Chris Carter Oops. might have learned that from this episode, too, because they have a tendency to do that kind of stuff. Aww. Anyway. I think all so, TV has those little errors. Yeah. <laughs> they don't expect anyone to be paying that much attention. But I am. I know. Anyway. I know. When they should be, because, you know, details. But Well, also, I mean, well, even probably back in the 90s, right? I mean, you was like, it's going to be on TV, and then no one's ever going to see it again. Right. So, they might watch stuff. a rerun later. Yeah, they might watch a rerun, but yeah. They might record it on their VCR, but how likely are they to pause and double check? And Yeah. Yeah. Or they're just going to record it to watch it because they missed it. They're not going to keep it. Yeah. I used to keep some stuff. Like if I had a really good episode of SNL or something. 
Yeah, but, but I mean, most people just yeah. use the same tape over and over again. Oh, yeah. Tapes weren't crappy. cheap. Yeah. So Carl walks into the INS office and he finds Vincenzo is having a super fancy French dinner, complete with a tablecloth and candles and silver. And there's like a personal waiter in his office. Yeah. Which, we, you know, it's pretty fancy. Yeah. yeah. Trey French. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, really, really upscale dining in his mm. office, which. He's got a big office, though. It's, yeah, he does. Bigger than my living room, honestly. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But he's in a good mood, and he invites Kolchak to join him, and he says that this dinner is courtesy of the editor of The Times, who is a sucker for the Cubs. So apparently somehow the INS got exclusive tickets to the World Series or something, and so the Times editor is, like, paying him back for tickets or buttering him up for tickets yeah, or something. Yeah, something's going up where INS got tickets, and no one else can get tickets, apparently. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Maybe Updike is not actually bad at his job. He was able to score all the tickets, and then no Maybe, one else could. Yeah. So Kolchik tells Vincenzo he's on to something huge, and Captain Quill is covering it up under the pretense of national security. And he mentions the ingots disappearing before their very eyes and the stone wall exploding in silence and the dead guy with marrow sucked out of his bones. And Vincenzo kind of like stops eating, gives him a look. And then he's like, oh, no, it's okay, Uh, It's fine. And then, you know, Kolchak keeps going and he talks about the electronics disappearing and like see this connection. And Vincenzo's like, no, I don't see this connection at all. And he's like, okay, well, let me start at the beginning. There was an autopsy on a dead panda. (laughs) And then again, Vincenzo's trying to eat. So this isn't like dinner conversation unless you're Mm -hmm. got an iron stomach. Yeah, he he keeps hesitating. But then he's also like, no, no, I'm fine. I got like an iron stomach. It's cool. I can totally do this. Yeah. Keep talking. Yeah. And then Kolchak, yeah, he's he's acting like he's fine. And then Kolchak tells him that every animal at the zoo who was killed had its bone marrow sucked out. And... After every killing, there's this pile of solidified black bile stuff, and it stinks, it's rancid, and it's composed of a strange combination of elements that occurs nowhere in this world. Yep, and Vincenzo's like, I knew it! I knew you were going to say that! I knew it! And Kolchak's like, well, do you want proof? And he's like, yes, I want proof! And he's like, okay, I got proof, I got proof. So he runs out of the office, and then the waiter brings Tony a plate of food, and he says something in French, which I'm not going to even try to say and tony's like well what is it and it's brains mm, mm, mm. yum yeah. yum yum brains i know lots of people eat stuff like that i i can't i mean marrow on toast is freaking no nope, can't do it Mm-mm. it's really good it's like it's like it's just like super flavorful butter it's yeah i just can't if i i have trouble like if i if i think about stuff too hard and like if it's something like that i just mm, can't make myself do it as far as i know it's good spit up like black gunk after eating it so yeah no i mean it's popular a lot of people eat it i'm just one of those people who like Mm -hmm. uh, i can't get myself past the the thought so my loss i guess but that's okay i'll live with it more for me yes exactly you can all have it it's fine so men in suits enter the INS office and Kolchak's in the file room, which is also the dark room and the bathroom. Well, their office system isn't great. And he's looking through files and finding nothing. And Monique is hiding in one of the bathroom stalls. And he tells her to come out or he's going to suck the marrow out of her bones. And she's like, uh, that's no inducement for me to come out, Mr. Kolchak, which, you know, good point. Yeah. And then she's like, I had no choice. These guys in suits and credentials, and they knew all about me, and they threatened to audit my taxes. And we learned that she's not actually filed an income tax return. So if she gets audited, she's going to be in trouble. And so she comes out. It turns out she handed the photos over to the men in suits, which is why Kolchak can't find them. And she's like, look, in my defense, those photos were awful. Once they dried, they looked totally fake. So they weren't really good for anything anyway. And Kolchak gets mad and he punches a file box and leaves. And honestly, and we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but like Monique seems like a completely different character in this episode. Like if this Monique stuck around and was developed more, I would be totally fine with that. She's funny and she's not just like annoying and incompetent like she was in the last episode. She's actually like an, ind- she's actually a person. Yeah. Of being like a character in there. Cause she was, she was really like a character in the last episode. Yeah. She was a caricature so, and now she's like yeah. an actual yeah, I like yeah. to drop syllables in my words. That's character. okay. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, she's really good here. And I'm 
kind of sad to learn she doesn't stick around now because like she was really annoying and now she's just like awesome and she's right like she didn't really have a choice what is she gonna do these men threaten her and demand the photos doesn't she could have been like i don't know what you're talking about there's no photos here yeah but they already knew they existed so i don't think that would have gone over well you have a warrant <laughs> so he goes back into the office and he sees the men in suits are leaving and the waiter is standing by the elevator with the table and everything else and vincenzo is standing in his office pouring some coffee and Kolchak asks how he could let those men take all his evidence, the photos, the tape. Those are the same guys that were Ray Dine. Now here they are taking everything that we have. Yep. And Vincenzo's like, do not do this to me. I don't want another UFO story. And we're like, what? Another UFO story? Because that means there's already been one. Mm -hmm. We don't know anything about it. So what is going on? And then Kolchak is like, wait, I didn't say UFO you said UFO, which he realizes actually means that those men said UFO when they were talking to Tony. And Tony's like, no, 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 I was just talking generically. I don't want to go through this again. Last time we ran one of these kooky scare stories, the public panicked and the police came down on me like a ton of bricks. And then he like kind of hiccup burps from all the food he ate. And Kolchak says like, okay, fine. He grabs his hat. He's like, have another seltzer and go home. And go to bed and he leaves and then vincenzo is just kind of looking there kind of sad and he like looks at the glass and he's like i don't want another seltzer and i felt bad for him because like he has like indigestion or something poor vincenzo so and we previously seen that like he drinks a lot of milk and obviously kolchek is always like on him and so i mean we know ulcers don't really come from like stress they come from actually like a, a bacteria but still you still have upset tummy from yeah. upset all the time. So. Kolchak is not helping. Let's just put it down. No, he's not. Yes, he's not helping. Yeah. So then Kolchak heads to a meeting of a private UFO organization. And everyone here is super eclectic. They're dressed like they've got they're dressed up like the men are in suits. Women are like mostly wearing like nice dresses and they're all wearing these like fancy hats. So it's it's really odd. It does look like a church service. It's really strange. Yeah, it looks like it looks like Easter service because they're the giant hats. They got flowers. Some of them have flowers. They're like just the big old like stereotypical like Easter bonnet kind of hats. It's kind of crazy looking. Yeah. And so there's a woman at the podium and she's talking about her experience on a flying saucer. And Kolchak comes in and there's a man, Howard, who I guess is in charge of the meeting, and he kind of like sees Kolchak come in, so he jumps up to talk to him. And we hear the woman recount her tale of like meeting this like alien on the ship. And it, it definitely turns into like something you could put in a penthouse letter, I guess. Yeah, like it's, it's kind of like, yeah, he gets, he gets a little fresh and offers her some drinks and yeah. I mean, she doesn't describe anything like in detail, but yeah. So, you know, we can, yeah. we kind of tell where it's going and there's, and there's, and there's quite the little flutter among the guests of like, Oh, right. So, you know, yeah. Everyone's kind of into the story. So then Howard tells Kolchak that Leon Van Housen called it an opus last Monday night, which is a one-party, unverified signing. And the woman's story has taken some kind of turn, so they stop to listen, and she's reading from a book, and she says that the destructive star Wormwood is actually not a star at all. It's a missile. Apparently, this is what the aliens told her. And if you look at Wormwood upside down and backwards, it reads Doom Rum. And yep. Howard hears it and he's like writing it down, trying to see if he can get it spelled Doom Rum. And he like shows it to Kolchak. He's like, does that say Doom Rum? And like Kolchak's trying to get more information from him. But this guy's really hung up on how this word does not look this way. And the woman comes over and they start arguing about like how, no, it is Doom Rum. No, it isn't. And so Kolchak kind of just like backs out of the room. He's like, I don't need this. I got yeah. my lead. It's a really weird scene. I mean, like you you would mention that it's, it's like they're supposed to be like kooky UFO nuts, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, and that's what it, that's obviously what it's set up for. But yeah, it was it was really. They're like yeah. kooky <laughs> UFO alien nuts. I mean, her story is like not like a typical alien abduction story. It's completely wild and obviously exaggerated. Yeah. And then she's arguing about this missile and like, yeah, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, because the alien's flirting with her and give her stuff that tastes like alcohol and he's getting fresh and she's like no 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 we can't do that and yes, yeah weird yeah in the weirdness too before we get to that scene Kolchak's like walking around outside 
And maybe it's just me. I don't know. But there was something about the scene that looked weird. And I think the film is actually backwards. So like Wormwood, because there's a there you can see in one point there's a storm, like a storefront. And like you can't read the text. It's really crazy. I think it's backwards. So I think the film is like backwards. Like maybe huh. they wanted him to walk one or maybe like it's footage that they use somewhere else or have used. And I haven't paid attention. So they want it to look different. So they flipped it. I don't really know. Huh. But like because it looks like the word says electrical. Because I actually took a screenshot and then flipped it. And I'm like, I think this is because like there's an L, <laughs> which definitely like there's no letter. It's like a backwards L. Right. And so it's kind of weird. But anyway, again, I get overboard a little bit. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And I'm not supposed to be doing that in 1974, taking screenshots and flipping it in a processor. Uh, I'm a little obsessed. Anyway, so Kolchak finds the location, which was Snake Rock. So we did get some information from Howard at the place before they started having the battle over Right, where this opus took place. Yep, and this is where we saw Van Heusen previously when he was setting up his stuff. This scene is ridiculously dark. There's, they are definitely not using like blue night filter here. They definitely filmed this at night. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to see what's going on a little bit, but Kolchak has like a handheld compass with him and we see it and it's just spinning, right? And then he finds Van Heusen's equipment and it's all still there. And then he finds Van Houston's body, and he's dead. But the equipment is still, like, turned on. And so Kolchak turns it on and listens to the tape, which are the last moments of Van Houston's life. And on the tape, he gives Earth's location, you know, like, third from the sun. And he says, we're peaceful, and that he will now communicate through Mathematico, the universal language. And either he didn't get to start, or Mathematico consists of him screaming in agony, because that's what we hear. And so <laughs> Kolchak turns off the tape, and then he pulls out his compass again, and he's kind of using this compass like a Geiger counter, sort of. Like, you, as it spins more, he, like, goes in that direction. If it stops spinning, then he kind of avoids it. So he's kind of using, like, a Geiger counter a little bit to track down whatever is behind all this. And then he goes into some trees for a little bit, and then suddenly there is something there. Something, but it passes by. So he follows it. Ooh. So. Yeah, I kind of thought he was going to find another black chunk by Van Heusen, because it's kind of what we've been talking about. There's always that by the bodies. He doesn't, but I was also kind of surprised that Van Heusen's equipment was all there and not taken apart and stolen. And stuff. Yeah. I guess maybe the alien has enough electronic parts now that he doesn't need I more. Guess maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe he doesn't need the electronic parts, yeah. So then inside a planetarium, there's a dead guard sprawled across one of the seats in back, and another guard's calling for backup. Or police or somebody to come help because yeah. obviously He's things are someone. not in control. Yeah. And we see the controls of the planetarium removing, but no one's at the control panel. And on the sky map, whatever, the stars change. And so Kolchek follows his spinning compass to the planetarium, which is apparently nearby. And so he goes in and he doesn't see, but we see the second guard is lying on the floor now. So Whatever has transpired since the guy tried to call for backup, he is now dead. Yep. And he does watch the star maps moving and changing overhead. And he does then see the first guard who was already dead. And Kolchak originally like just seems to think he's asleep, like sleeping in the back of the planetarium, which, you know, could be a normal assumption to make. And then he realizes he's wrong. And he sees the controls are being operated without anyone controlling him. So the star maps continue to move and change, and then they stop. And Kolchak's like, um, I should maybe not be in here. <laughs> and a strange shadow kind of looms over the control unit, and then it starts heading towards Kolchak. And so he starts taking pictures with his camera, and the flash is going off repeatedly, and then suddenly whatever was going to attack him kind of backs off. And Kolchak is, like, relieved, and then we hear police sirens. And it's commercial time. Yeah. And we come back from the commercial and the police are outside the planetarium. And then Captain Quill comes in with several men and he tells them to turn on the lights. And they find the second guard on the floor. He's dead. And Kolchak tells him, like, stay away from the controls. Don't go by the controls. And he tells Quill that it's there and it was looking at the star maps. And Quill tells him to be quiet. But then suddenly, like, policemen start flying through the air from the controls, <laughs> right? So don't listen. And then 
Kolchek says he thinks he knows how to stop it. He's not sure, but he thinks his camera made it stop, and he, so he thinks it's the flash, like for the flashbulb. And Quill is like, there's nothing there. We can't see anything. How can something be there if we can't see it? And so Kolchek tells him that he spoke to Dr. Something German, whose name I couldn't make out in the audio, but apparently off screen, he talked to this doctor who has a German last name, and he's like, we know about X-rays and cosmic rays, and so just because we can't see them, that doesn't mean they're not real. So whatever this thing is, we can't see it, but Kolchek's infrared photos do show it. So whatever was on those photos when he when they were wet, it still looked just like weird blow or whatever. But apparently when they dried, they must have showed the aliens, which means that Monique probably is the only person to have seen what this looked like, even though she thought it looked fake. So, Huh. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder she thought it looked fake. She's probably like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Quill eventually gets on board with the idea that the light could stop this thing. And he goes out and he orders that all lights be focused on the door of the planetarium. And then he goes and talks to the men in suits who are parked nearby and kind of watching stuff unfold. Hmm. They're there too. That's Mm. suspicious. Suspicious. Mm. Yeah. So inside the remaining cops decide like, we're going to go rush the control panel. And Kolchak's like, you're nuts. But they do it anyway because they're cops. And so, of course, they go flying across the room. And then it seems like the thing, like, leaves the room. Like, it goes, boom, out the door. And so Kolchak runs outside, and it is chaos. So there's, like, cops rolling around on the ground, or they're running all over the place, and there's things on fire. And Quill tells Kolchak that his days in this town are over. He'll make sure of that. And Koltik doesn't understand. He was like, the light should have worked, but obviously it didn't. Quill just says it made whatever it was, it really pissed it off and made it worse. So Quill is not happy with Kolchek. And so Quill leaves and goes to talk to the guys in the suits again. And then Kolchek runs back inside and he starts like reenacting the events of the attack. So he's kind of like doing like the, okay, I was here. And then I stepped back and then it came in and I took the photo. And he's doing that. And as he does it, he snaps the photo and he hears something. So he does it again. He puts it to his ear and the flash has a recharger. And when it recharges, it makes this kind of like whirring, buzzing, whine noise. So then he runs back outside. Yeah. (laughs) So Kolchak tries to explain it to Quill, who's just finished talking to his men and black buddies. But Quill's basically only interested in threatening Kolchak or telling him how they which he means the men in black are going to do things to Kolchak that he wishes he could do. They're basically going to ruin his career and run him out of town or lock him up or who knows. And Kolchak's like, I don't care about your threats. Just tell your buddies that I know how they can stop this thing. And Quill ignores him and leaves. And so like frustrated Kolchak also leaves and he starts trekking through the woods back to his car. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to ask you about this. So the actor who plays Quill, He's in a lot of stuff, right? You, he's probably one of the people you looked up because he's in a lot of stuff. You recognize mm-hmm. him for sure. There was a little bit of this in the first scene at Raydine, and then not so much in the later scenes with him, but then definitely in this one. If that dude is not drunk, I do not know what is going on because he's like, Kolchak, you need to not go. Like He's like, like Foster <laughs> Brooks style, like I'm a drunk person. It's kind of weird. I think he might be, have had a little, little nip in between scenes, possibly. I'm not sure. Maybe. He totally seemed drunk. I could see that. I didn't notice it at the time, but yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I get he's supposed to be like all like, you know, chaos has happened, right? Because like like his jacket's all like rumpled and kind of unbuttoned. And so like things have been kind of crazy. But he totally sounds like instead of sounding like exasperated, he sounds <laughs> drunk. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just the actor. Maybe that's what he that, that's his idea of being exasperated out, but, yeah maybe yeah, he just but like he totally, but he totally sounded drunk maybe he had too much whiskey at craft services when he was having his sandwich that's what i'm that's what i'm then... thinking right because this is the <laughs> 70s right so you know there were they were some yeah they were they some martinis with their lunches or something and... that's right yeah <laughs> so Colchuk gets in his car and drives and he has a dash mounted compass and he's using the spinning to kind of track the thing from the planetarium like he did with his you know, hand compass. Mm-hmm. And he drives for a while and he comes to a stop and the compass is spinning like crazy and then it explodes. Yeah, which was hilarious because like, it's just like a ball <laughs> Doesn't in make water. Sense. Yeah. yeah, like it spun so fast the water heated up, but it's a good visual. But yeah, it's funny because yeah. it's, just, it's just floating in the thing of water. Mm-hmm. But, it's yeah. completely nonsensical, but it works. because Yeah, yeah, it's a good visual. 
So Kolchik gets out and he heads into the woods with his handheld compass, which, as you notice, higher quality because it does not explode, apparently, under this pressure. Yeah. And so then he comes to a small clearing and we see what looks like a silver saucer-shaped craft. And it's got these struts and it's very, like, B-movie UFO, but it's a UFO. I don't know what it is. It's an unidentified. Well, I don't know that it's flying. It's, it's an, an unidentified, unidentified object in a, the woods. It's a UPO. It's an unidentified yes. parked object. So, <laughs> so um, he slowly and hesitantly like makes his way up to it, and he touches it, which I would not do. I would be worried about like radiation burns, but he doesn't think of that. So he just like touches it, and then he tries to open the hatch, <laughs> which is even more bold. Colchick's bold, but he can't get it open. So then he steps back and he takes a few photos. And then he realizes the craft's owner has arrived on scene and he tries to run, but it backs him against the tree. And so he flashes his camera repeatedly because that worked last time and it works again. And the thing leaves. And then we see the door of the craft open and there's this orange glow inside and then the hatch closes. So hopefully the alien thing is inside now. Mm-hmm. It's invisible. We don't know. It could be playing cold check. Yeah. And so Kolchak kind of recovers and he approaches the craft again and prepares to take another photo. But as he does, it begins to fade from sight. And then with a blip, it disappears. Mm. And so then he uh, finally walks away. He's like, okay, well, that thing's gone. Yeah. And then we go to commercial. I do like how he kind of like stumbles away, mm-hmm. which I thought, I don't know if that was the intent or not. Maybe it was just like, it's dark and it's woods. He didn't want to, you know, he was actually really stumbling, but like as someone who has like had panic attacks and I know you have, as we, we both commented on this, like the same thing, like you have panic attacks and you suffer from anxiety a lot. Like that tears you up. It makes mm-hmm. you sore. It makes you physically sore and like totally drains your energy. And you just like want to climb into bed sometimes. And so yeah, and I imagine adrenaline and that kind of stress, too. Like, I've never been attacked by an alien in the woods that I remember. But uh, if I was, I'm sure that kind of thing is the same kind of response where, like, as soon as the danger is gone, it just, like, drains. It's like your battery just goes down. Yeah, because that full, like, fight or flight mode, it just it just uses up everything you got. And yeah, and then yeah, it leaves you, are... you very tired. Yeah, and very, I mean, I've. I will have like muscle pains afterwards. Like I was oh, doing yeah. some crazy exertion. It's nuts. But we cut back to Kolchek and he's typing in the dark. So we get the same scene that we had in the opening. And in his voiceover, he tells us that they tried to make a park out of the woods near Snake Park, planting lots of flowers and everything, but nothing would grow. And there's a saucer shaped depression there. But if you want to see it, you'll have to hurry because the parks department has decided to do some reclamation work at the site and they're going to fill it with concrete because apparently that's what they decided was reclamation work. So and then he says, what happened really just depends on your point of view. A traveler has a breakdown, stops to fix it, grabs a map and a bite to eat. And then they're on their way. This happened to all of us. As for Kolchak, he hasn't heard from the boys in the sedan yet and then we get the end credit sequence and it's over so i get that they didn't want to show the alien because it's like invisible and so like the visible spectrum of light idea works you know but like they had that thing where like there was like blowing wind every time it was around and that was kind of i felt like they could have done something else but yeah i mean they probably could have just done nothing at all and just made it you know the actors reacting or they could have like change the light the shadow thing was kind of cool but it also made it seem really like ominous and like evil kind of with the shadow and i don't think that was really like the right tone but you know. it was attacking people and eating their bone marrow yeah but maybe it's just that's what it does i mean it wasn't necessarily doing it because it's evil it's just that's what it does it's like you know yeah when a frog eats, eats a fly <laughs> yeah when a snake eats a fly frogs eat flies yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, no, I do like that they didn't show it because I feel like if they showed it, it would have been really bad. It would have been bad. Yeah, I mean, even the X-Files, when they show them, they're not great. You're better like, yeah, keep it behind the plastic. It looks cool behind the plastic. Don't yeah, show me the plastic. so yeah. Um, probably a good call there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, good call. I just think maybe they went overboard. With yeah, it. the wind was it's weird because then invisible. it's like, how big is this thing if it's displacing that much air? Like, this ship isn't that big. Yeah. 
And then also, you're not really invisible if I can like tell where you are because it's all like super windy. But yeah, the ship was was relatively small. Yeah, it was like a one seater for sure. It was a little sports car model. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was off cruising. So I also I wonder if it was the story choice or if it was like a censor thing from 1974. But like Dr. Weinstock when she's talking about it, she's like it eats the marrow and then throws it up, and I'm like. You, it, like it's poop like it poops it out it's, it's alien poop is what it is they didn't throw it up but i don't know yeah because it would be weird to throw it up like biologically yeah. speaking every time yeah because why would you be if it makes you up every time maybe you should eat it right <laughs> not great so yeah unless it's one of those weird aliens where like it's the does everything whole so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we didn't even see it, so we have no idea what its biology That's looks true. like. That's true. We need to. We need to ask Monique. She's seen it. <laughs> That's why they get rid of her because she knows what the. Oh, like. the Men in Black taker. They realize she's seen it. They realize like, oh, she didn't just. Do she saw. It. Yeah. Speaking of which, I hope Doctor Weinstock fares better than Doctor Carpenter does when it comes to like doing analysis of something that ends up being extraterrestrial in nature and like doesn't end up dead. So. Was Doctor Carpenter the one in Erlen Meyer flask who was? Yeah. Okay. Who, with her whole family, gets killed. Basically, yeah, that was accident. not good for her. That did not no, end well. Not. No. R.I.P. Mm. Doctor Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode definitely, you can see, like, I think the whole premise of the show is an inspiration for the X Files, but I think this episode, especially, you can see a lot of lines like drawn to direct inspiration like mm-hmm. and i thought like the ufo kooks were like obviously it's not where like the lone gunmen come from but, oh yeah but i do think like that that sort of idea of like there's these kooky people who believe in ufos i'm sure is something that stuck with chris carter and probably everyone who watched this and it's an alien trope that like the kooky ufo fans but yeah, know. you had mentioned in your notes, but we didn't mention it when we were talking about it. That it that the, the whole thing about the wormwood and the doom rum sound like an, seemed like an old like skit or something. Yeah, like a sketch so. scene, like you would see like on SNL or like one of those sketch shows or something where you know people are arguing back and forth, and it just it felt very much like and this is. I mean, the whole scene is obviously supposed to be comic relief. But. Yeah, yep, yeah. There was actually a lot of good comedy in this. Yeah, and not, and not like and not like the unintentional like oh my god kind of comedy, right? But like it was intended to be funny, so yeah, it was funny. It was good too. It was like, you know, I mean, I realized that these UFO tropes and alien tropes and stuff originated like what in the sixties, early seventies, around this time. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the I mean, the first stuff obviously is in the forties, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah, but I but just it starts, yeah, yeah, it sort of culminates in our collective zeitgeist i guess kind of around this time i would think like probably late 60s early 70s yeah because it kind of it kind of like peaked and then kind of faded away until like the late 70s and the early 80s whenever all that stuff like like all the stuff we know about roswell right yes that stuff because the books that got written about roswell like people forgot people didn't give a crap about roswell like in the like probably like by the mid 50s through the 60s and the 70s it wasn't until like the 80s when that stuff came out it was late 70s or early 80s i forget but anyway yeah so all that stuff just kind of like whoo, disappeared mm. and then it kind of all got brought back so yeah but i can yeah. definitely see the uh the it, they're 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 kooky ufo believers it's <laughs> funny yeah so. well then you got like the compass spinning and the weird like and obviously the ship is like you know flying saucer mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think it, uh, I'll tell you what, they did a really good job because I knew this was about aliens going into it, right? Like, watching this because I'd already like read about it, what the episodes were about, kind of thing. And then I, what I kind of did because I'm the one who's writing the notes for these, I kind of watched it like super at super high speed to get an idea of what was going on because I was trying to figure out like, what do I want to say in the opening? Do I want to mention aliens? Do I not want to mention like how much do aliens play a role in the show, kind of thing? And so I watched it like, you know, with no sound, just kind of like, and, and I saw all this stuff going on and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be awful. This is really going to be awful. But it wasn't, it was really good, I thought. And they handle all that weird stuff and they actually tie it together. Which yeah. It's kind of been one of our complaints with the X-Files when they throw everything at the screen and you're like, they did too much. They didn't tie, you know, they didn't tie it together. And here they actually, that, that's a lot of stuff, but I think they actually 
it's not just let's throw things at you. It's like, right. We're going to link all this stuff together. Well, I think, I think the X-Files does that too with a lot of their alien episodes, but some of their episodes, it just. Well, like we've talked about like with EBE. Yeah. Stuff going on. And then like with blood, it was like, there's a lot of good stuff in blood, but you didn't tie any of it together. Really. Yeah. Or you just left this... too many things hanging. Whereas this, like yeah. you could, you could draw the line from like the electronics are disappearing because the guy needs it to fix his ship and like the animals are dying because the guy needs to eat you know <laughs> yeah and i guess the ship is made out of lead okay oh maybe or maybe he needs those for power i don't know how that would Who work knows? yeah well maybe he's got like some alchemy engine that like turns lead into whatever gold gasoline yeah or uranium or something <laughs> who knows i have no idea <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was pretty interesting. So, speaking of which, what kind of rating do you want to give this? Um, I think this is probably a seven. A seven. Okay. Which is what you gave the Ripper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gave... Okay. That sounds about right. I think I'm going to, hmm. I think I'm, uh, hmm. 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 Yeah, I think that I think that I think that works. I think seven. I was thinking maybe a little bit higher, but I think I also think I'm I was coming from an expectation of it not being good, and then it surprised me, and so I kind of want to give it more. But that's because I I'm basing it on an expectation that I had and not just treating it raw. So I think if I treated it raw, I think seven works. So again we are kind of matching we're kind of matching pretty well and we're matching on Kolchek way better than we match on the x-files that's for sure <laughs> so that's funny i think i think i think be, i think because maybe it's because you are doing them as separate scales yeah and maybe so because you you have that fondness for the x-files where i'm just like how well is it doing what it's trying to do i think the x-files is definitely not faring as well on my ratings right so that's okay though that is okay Again, like we've said, it would be boring if so. These might be boring because we're always going to be. No, we maybe we, we might not out. always. You never know. Yeah, we'll it just you know, it was good. I mean, the thing is, like, Kolchak is what it is, and it does a good job. And this one was well done. It was definitely better than what was the last one? The zombie. The zombie was a little bit. <laughs> yeah, zombie was a little. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right then. And this one has a cool title too, so that's awesome. It's not really giving it any points. And Monique was good. That does give yeah. it points because Monique was good yeah. in this one. And I liked having yeah. a female character who's kind of awesome. So Yeah. And they aren't technically men in black in this. Like that's kind of us assigning them as men in black. Right. But I do wonder now. I'm wondering like representation of like that kind of group in media. Like when like is this maybe one of the first times that kind of trope has appeared. I mean, it would have been like previously before, like if, you, if it wasn't a UFO story, it would have been just like the government coming in to cover things up. Right. And we are talking like, this is, you know, I mean, this is like Watergate time. So um, as far as history goes, so. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't, I'm now I'm wondering like, what would be the, uh, the earliest representation of what we would consider a men in black. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know yeah. when that started. And I would love to know when that started, like just in general stories, and then when it moved to the screen in some way. I know that, but I cannot speak to it because I will mess up information. But I, I know that. And so maybe we'll talk about that at some other point. It'll probably come up, I'm sure. Yeah. I would need to go back and look at some information before I could speak on it because I would mess it up. I would probably get some, I would, I would definitely get dates mixed up and I definitely would not have names off the top of my head. Yeah. But I do. I do know that I know that. Story. Yeah. I feel like I've heard it before somewhere and I'm trying to remember yeah. where, but you know, I've read so many UFO books and stuff when I was a kid that I'm sure it's come across it. And I just could mm -hmm. not tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, they have been, they are, and they will be. Yes. Is um, complete. Nice. Yeah. All Good right, work, we'll everyone. Good job. <laughs> Good, Good work job. to us. And also my cat being super cute in front of me. And my other cat's probably somewhere. I don't know. He's being quiet. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> 
I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode four of Kolchek the Night Stalker, the Vampire. Ooh. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. to see how they do vampires since they already did it in the first movie well spoiler it's a continuation <gasps> Ooh, well that's exciting yeah. yes